RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, supplemental number 63, the one with Thanksgiving and Star Trek cocktails. Welcome to a supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. This week, it's Thanksgiving, at least in the United States. And as is the tradition around here, we don't release a regular Mission Log episode on Thursday. Nope. No, we do not. But we did want to check in and say hello. Hello to all of you. That's what we're doing right now. Hello. Everybody, hello, Norman. <laughs> Good to see we're here from you all. We'll we'll share with you some of the feedback that you sent us. We'll uh, answer a few questions. You know, John, we have so much to be thankful for, and I'd like to start with thanking all of our listeners, and especially our Patreon supporters, who have been so incredibly supportive and generous with their donations, even during this COVID nineteen pandemic lockdown, which has put so many across the world and. And here in the U.S. and uh, overseas, and especially, you know, with the COVID-19 lockdown, it it has put people under tremendous amounts of stress, especially financially. So I just, uh, I wanted to say for, on behalf of Mission Log, thank you to all of our patrons who have been able to make the sacrifice to donate to us and to support us in that way. I, indeed. And, you know, we're also thankful uh, for the Mission Log communities social media, on Mission Log Live, and of course on Patreon, who have just all been incredible creating these conversations um, on Zoom every month that we, we do our live check-in, our live hangout there. It is important to stay connected to whatever community brings you a sense of belonging and comfort, because these communities will get all of us through hard times ahead until we can be with each other again. And we will. And uh, we'd also like to thank all the sponsors uh, who have been supporting us throughout the course of this calendar year, especially ExpressVPN, Eagle Moss Hero Collector, Mint Mobile, Raycon, and Theragun. Thank you for your support, and thank you for helping us keep the Mission Log airwaves going. I also have one small thank you also. I didn't put this in the notes, John, but I also wanted to thank Earl, our editor, Earl Green. For sifting through all of our raw audio and making the shows actually cohesive after all of that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Mission Log in the last year has evolved. And to everybody who listens, it's like the most significant, the most obvious change is your voice starting in January of 2020. That was a change. But there's another change, which is that I feel like we've grown the family a bit. Earl has become absolutely indispensable to the show. He he stepped in as the technical director on Mission Live. Then he took over the editing on uh, the regular Mission Log. And he's been there in kind of a production capacity for us. And then there's Ashley and Holly to be guest co-hosts, uh, not to mention, of course, Rekha Sharma, who is a guest co-host, uh, Charlene, who stepped in as a guest co-host. So I love the idea that Mission Log becomes this very flexible format that we get to invite people to be a part of. Uh, so thank you to all of 
people because, look, honestly, you have not heard the last from them. You know, I, I had a, a great conversation today with somebody who is a listener from overseas, and he was just like, Holly's awesome. I, I love hearing her on the live show, and uh, they should just change the name of Google to Holly, because if I have a Star Trek <laughs> question, Holly's going to know the answer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, and, and yes, yeah, you are not wrong when you say that. So. I'm glad, like on our last Mission um, Log live show... I was like, Holly, please take those technical questions because I can't, and you can. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, for real, for real. Um, Later in the show today, you will hear from Glenn Dakin. Uh, He will be our guest, and he is the author of... Oh, I'm so excited. I'm really jealous of the assignment. Got to put together the Star Trek-themed cocktails for a lovely book. So we'll hear from him a little bit later. I can't wait to ask him some questions about booze. And Star (laughs) Trek cocktails. Very exciting there. Very very timely for the holidays. And, uh, you know, before we get to that, uh, coming up on Mission Log, well, you know, we're going to keep just going right through DS9 Season 5. We will be off. uh, Obviously, we're off this week for Thanksgiving. We will be off for, um, I believe, New Year's Eve Day, which is a Thursday. But we will actually release a show Christmas Eve. So December 24th, there will be a Mission Log. We got to take a little time off, too. Um, but many, many shows come. Uh, Mission Log Live keeps kicking along. Discovery will get us through. Discovery Season 3 won't actually until the middle of January 2021, so Holly will be with us for those. Those will go nonstop, and uh, probably do a wrap-up show, at least one wrap-up show with her, uh, so we'll be able to kind of put the whole season in perspective, and then, then we'll see if there's an announcement from... Yes, about what comes next whenever uh, uh, Lower Deck Season 2 will come. Obviously, they've started shooting Discovery Season 4, but that'll be some ways off before we have an announcement on a release date for those. But, you know, it's, it's a good time to be a Star Trek fan. There's just a lot coming. Strange New Worlds, Picard Season 2, Disco Season 4. Uh, I don't know if we'll get an announcement about uh, Section 31 or Prodigy or whatever else is coming next. So, yeah. And not to mention all the merchandise that comes along with that content. Because when you have new shows, you have new merchandise. So there'll be probably more ships from Eagle Moss, Hero Collector, more books, more Mm -hmm. collectibles. It is a good time. As a smart man once said, Norman, merchandising. That's right, merchandising. Wait for Star Trek Discovery, the (laughs) flamethrower. The kids love that. (laughs) Can't wait. So, uh, hey, if you'll indulge me, we'll get into some of these comments, some of these emails. You know, it bears repeating. I I want people to know that we really, truly do read everything. And there is a lot that comes in. It comes in on our Facebook page, on Twitter, your emails, private messages in Facebook, and then the comments on missionlogpodcast.com. So there's a lot of places where it's come in, and we really do read all of it. Um, it just, it would be impossible. It would be another full-time job to just answer all of those. So please be aware. We do read them all. Can't get back to them all. 
sometimes we'll be able to to dash off an answer to something, but then we do save some of these for a format like this, where we can actually address in a little more free form, conversational form, what it is that you're asking and what it is you commented on. So I'll go ahead and talk about the first one here and uh, share it with everybody. This is an email from Mark, and he says, hello. Well, hello back to you, Mark. I have listened to Mission Log for about three years, and it made my week commute between Seattle and Vancouver, back when such things were possible, more tolerable for many years. I never commented on your shows previously because it took me a long time to catch up to your podcast. Dear Mission Log, I disagree with Ken's comments about Private Little War from six years ago. <laughs> Love that he dropped that in. Um, I just finished listening to your podcast about The Visitor. I found it to be thoughtful and it's truly one of the best podcasts that I have ever heard. Star Trek is at its best when it can explore such a profound topic, and your discussion brought that out beautifully. Well done, Mark. P.S. Norman's comments about how odd it was in the way of the warrior for Starfleet intelligence not to have picked up on a giant Klingon mobilization <laughs> reminded me of so many post-Star Trek discussions with my roommates back in college. Oh, that's funny. Um, Mark, I, I so I picked this email for a few reasons. Uh, one, because I, I just, like, I wanted to recognize you, Norman, somebody who has brought, uh, on more than one occasion, very personal insight to some heavy topics that we've had and really the visitor that was so early on in you joining mission log and for you to just be able to kind of spill your guts to our listeners i think that was a, a beautiful thing. thank you for that and i think our audience really appreciates your honesty and the emotional depth and resonance that able to share with us there um and i wanted to thank mark because my gosh uh while sticking with us that long thank you i'm always amazed when people write in and either they say i've been listening to you since day one august 2012 or i'm equally amazed when people say i discovered you six months ago and i've caught up i, I i'm like you're crazy you're an insane person for doing that but thank you <laughs> you know um and i just that mark was able to uh, uh to point out this very specific thing about way of the warrior yes you're absolutely right say that that reminds you of your post star trek <laughs> discussions with your roommates that's what mission log is all about i yep. mean honestly you know we we take it seriously and we take notes and we we write down so much stuff before you go on the air but hopefully that's what it is like this is our conversation then we give it to you to say have your own conversation exactly exactly and thank you mark for for very yeah. kind those very kind words um you know john when when you first asked me to do mission log to audition now, I said this before earlier on, on another supplemental, that I was a little nervous about doing it because what am I going to bring to a Star Trek discussion that hasn't been discussed before and so expertly and eloquently between you and Ken? And it takes me back to something that, um, that Howard Stern said in Private Parts, both in his book and in the movie, where he said that I have to be completely honest with the audience because authenticity is what is what gives you a lot of credibility in podcasting. So when I watch The Visitor or when I have to watch The Visitor because I don't choose to watch that voluntarily because of how emotional mm -hmm. it is for me, 
you have to be able to express the experience that it gave you with the viewers because I'm not the only one out there that has watched that episode and felt that way. And I think that being able to express openly and honestly how it made you feel, what reactions it was able to to pull out of you and have that connect with an audience makes those people that are listening on the other side of the of the broadcast feel a little bit more connected with what you're saying. And they don't feel sometimes as alone or they know that there's somebody out there who understands what they are going through or have gone through or are still suffering. So it's, it's important to be able to make those emotional connections and, and to be honest with it because it's, it's also a form of um, expressionism and therapy that helps you move forward mm-hmm. through some of those uh, more uh, difficult experiences and memories that pop up from time to time. So, um, and, and as for the, the discussions about the roommates back in college, of course, man, that's what we do, right? <laughs> you know, it's nitpicking Star yeah. Trek to the nth degree. That's a tradition of, of any Star Trek fan, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, that was kind of always the question about Mission Log. Is like, how do we take that kind of conversation and, you know, formalize it a bit? Like, you know, format it into a show where we, we can have uh, acts or chapters within that show so you kind of anticipate, know what you're going to get. Um, but, you know, keep it still conversational and real. Mm-hmm. And that that's the whole idea. Like, it's just us having that sort of uh, heart-to-heart about, ooh, like, what what affected us this episode? Right. You know, and it's a a privilege truly to be able to invite other people to have that conversation with us on this weekly basis as we've done. So, um, yeah, thanks again. So thank you for that, Mark. Um, And uh, Norman, if you want to take the next one. Absolutely. So here's another email from John Arminio. And John says, as for the begotten, the episode does provide some excellent character growth for Odo allowing us to see deeper into his soul than maybe we ever have before. You and Norman explored those aspects of the episode wonderfully. However, I was rather troubled by the impetus for the whole plot, Quark having the baby changeling in the first place. One of our main characters, Quark, whom we are supposed to like and view as a lovable rapscallion, someone who has a delightful... I always say this wrong, John. It's tete-a-tete, isn't it? Yes. Yes, yes. Tete-a-tete with authority figures is selling a dying baby for profit. How did he obtain this child? What kind of circles is he running in? For such a secretive, guarded race as the Founders, what security risks is Quark exposing DS9 to if the Founders are tracking or monitoring all these baby changelings waiting to be discovered throughout the galaxy? I could forget the larger plot implications if the morality of that first interaction wasn't so troubling. Seeing René Aubergenois give Odo so much love and depth is worth a lot of fudging of the larger storyline to get us there, but the idea that everyone is okay with Quark participating the darkest sort of black market profiteering, the selling of sentient beings, is something I just couldn't shake. Am I being too picky here? John, is John being too picky here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, first of all, thank you, John. John Arminio, uh, who is a podcast host himself and has been a longtime uh, Mission Log listener and uh, commenter, so thank you for all of that. Um, 
I, you know, that it, it sort of raises the question, can you be too picky about something within Star Trek? Because our whole charge here, our whole mission is to look at the moral, ethical implications of what's happening in a given episode of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, he he's right that there's have to overlook because we are supposed to focus on the Odo journey here. Who who has Odo been? How did he develop? And, and really, what is his relationship uh, with his own, quote-unquote, father in this? What is that arc mm-hmm. by the time we've uh, gotten him to the end of the episode? But what is that arc that we've seen him cross uh, since day one, since we met him? So... I imagine the writers sat down and just said, okay, you know, here's the story we want to tell. Here's here's what we need to get across with Odo, uh, but how do we contrive this way to get a baby, baby changeling to him? And, oh, well, we're looking something with Quark this week because Armin, like everybody else, they have this guaranteed minimum number of episodes, so let's let's throw him in there somewhere. And I imagine you sort of pat yourself on the back for saying, all right, we solved that problem because we worked in the actor or worked in the character that we need to work in. Um, we'll make it a little shady because it is Quark. Okay, now let's just move on to the rest mm-hmm. of the story. But in hindsight, to John's point, which I think is great, you just go like, yeah, how did he get this baby changeling? And what are the implications there? Where's the speech from Cisco to say, first of all, how did this happen? And don't ever let this happen again that you're selling a sentient being. Like, this is completely and 100% wrong. We're, we're, you know, we're missing a, a much bigger point here. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, there's nothing in John's email that I disagree with. I totally agree with what he's saying here. But sort of the production reality, I guess, is, is what I'm looking at here, which is they just felt like, okay, at a certain point we have to tell this story. Let's just find a convenient way to get into it. What, what do you think? Well, I think that Quark was probably the right and only choice to be able to do this because, you know, Quark is uh, he's unscrupulous, right? You know, he's, he trades in black market mm-hmm. goods. You know, he, he has the access and he, he kind of like has the, the the moral gray area to play with as a character because we all know that, you know, profit is king with the Ferengi. And we all have kind of grown to accept that, you know, with our understanding of the rules of acquisition, the FCA, how Ferengi culture is, is uh, mm-hmm. structured. So why wouldn't he sell a, you know, a sentient being? And I, I don't think if I remember correctly. But, but there's nothing gray about it, though. There's there's nothing gray. There's nothing gray about selling a living being. No, <laughs> no. There's there's not that that has to violate. Yeah. But does it? Why would it violate to a Ferengi? Nothing. It's still an exchange of goods. He just sees it as a commodity. Even a Ferengi. Yeah. But, you yeah, know. Sure. But if he station that is operated by Starfleet under you know, some set of regulations under, you know, Federation regulation, even if yeah. Bajor is not a member yet, is like, okay, we're pretty sure they, they all are going to uh, find this to be reprehensible. Well, of course. So where where's the speech, you know? Is that just scene missing? Like you roll the tape and there's the big, you know, the black screen scene missing. What? And that scene was uh, 
you know, Cisco nailing Quark to the wall about this. Well, that scene was, I think, replaced by one of the things that I had a problem with is that the only thing that Cisco really cared about from that baby was the intelligence they could get from it. The way that they can beat the founders, yeah. right? And we did make mention yeah. of that in our show when we covered right. the Begotten because all Cisco's like, if you guys can't get the information that I want, I'm going to get somebody who can. Instead of, this is a sentient yeah. being that yeah. you're toying around with, I'm going to protect it under Federation law. That's the issue that we had with that episode. Yeah. And you're absolutely right, and so is John Arminio, right? right? So, uh, yeah, yeah, there's we did not like Cisco's attitude at all in that episode when it came to protecting yeah. this child who didn't have a voice for itself. And I, I think that the reason why it was so easy to gloss over at the beginning is because more often than not, most people don't really sympathize with a being that doesn't have a face. It doesn't have the eyes. It doesn't have the windows mm -hmm. to the soul, right? So when it's something like a gelatinous puddle or a beam of energy or a Metron floating around in its sparkly uniform, no one really cares. <laughs> Because it's not a yeah. human soul, or it's not a living creature, or it's not a kitten, or a puppy, or a targ. You know, it's yeah. just nebulous. So the identification yeah. for that is like it's a little on the. Oh, okay. It was you know it's yeah it's a changeling baby, but it's in a it's in a vial. So really, who cares, right? Right. And, and I think that's a big part of what John is really getting at in this email is, is that. Even even in this you know sort of evolved twenty fourth century, uh, there's still probably the opportunity to overlook uh, uh, the sort of things that you think would be very common and be very obvious because oh, okay well yeah that's a being but I can't with it or talk back to me and it doesn't have a face and I can't judge its feelings at this point so yeah whatever we we can let a lot of this pass mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's look at our final email here. This one's from Timothy Cree. He says, one, I am in Norman's camp that Odo didn't know for a fact the men were innocent before he had them killed. I think he dedicated himself to improving and never repeating that error. It shaped his career. All right, I, I, I'll give you that. All right, <laughs> that's fine. Two, now this is where it gets really interesting. Two, it seems a bit high and mighty and hypocritical for Kira to question if Odo is the man she thought he was. Did she forget necessary evil where their positions are exactly reversed and he learns that she is a murderer who didn't reveal it for fear of having her feel less about her? How can someone from the former Bajoran militia and underground question anyone else's kill tally? That ending really hurts the episode for me. And yes, the previous episode where we make it rain on Isa <laughs> is so terrible. How could anyone wants to affect people about not being lazy there? Nobody is going to into that. And yes, Worf is a jackass from start to finish, almost unwatchable. Keep up the good work. Stay safe, Tim Cree. <laughs> Tim, I love this email. So you pack so much into a few sentences. And oh, I love that's it. That's so funny. Um, yeah. Oh, I like the fact that... Um, yeah, okay. look, I mean... Go, I, uh, uh, go. No, 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 please, you well, first. I don't know if I should say where Tim's from, but I know where he's from because my younger brother used to live in your town. And there was a great mm. breakfast place that he took me to. I think it was called Snooze. And they made the best coffee ever. Mm. So, Tim, if you're out there listening to this, let me know if I completely messed that up. But I do also remember that it was very popular... And everyone out there played Giant Jenga, waiting to get in line 
to go get their, their breakfast served. So I think I have the right That's place. Awesome. Either that or I'm like ridiculous. So cool. I was ridiculously hungover, which is also probably the case um, as well. See, I, there's a great amount of detail to this story, which I love. So mm. e- even if it's not, even if this is not the same place in the same town, at least I love the amount of detail that you have there. So, <laughs> yes. Anyway. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I, you know, when, when Odo was on trial for, for the crimes, for his crimes, and, you know, when they were going through his memories, because he had that memory synapse DNA special mm-hmm. effecty thing, whatever they did. Uh, it, it, right. it, it's hard. Uh, it was it was hard at first to try and find some sympathy with Odo. But the thing is that you know Odo was doing what Odo thought what he was doing best. You know he thought he was he was you know dispensing judgment and justice in the you know in in this particular circumstance, and that's that's what he was. That's all he knew. And I think it plays into uh, how Doctor Mora kind of crafted him to be, you know, Dr. Moore wasn't kind really to Odo mm. in a way, you know, he wasn't really, uh, he wasn't, um, comforting in that fatherly way. You know, he wanted results out of Odo. And I think that that's where Odo adopted, like, I need clear, precise results. And if I can't get that, I will get that. And it's not like he would manufacture that. It's just, there's a coldness to Odo that he's worked through over the last yeah. seven years and seven years from that point, uh, five years in the story that we're or was it seven years before the five years? That's been 12 years. I, I think, it, yeah, I think it was years seven prior, years before the, before five, the five years. years so he's been, now, yeah. you know, he's been yeah. evolving this entire time. And that's, yeah. you know, in Odo understanding that, um, that, that's, uh, that, that speaks volumes of the first thing that, you know, the first, um, you know, the first uh, solution to a problem is understanding that there is a problem in and of itself. So, once Odo realized that, you know, when he was coming back mm-hmm. home from that shuttle, uh, the shuttle ride, he's like, no, the, the Bajoran uh, Historical Society is giving me way too much credit. I didn't dispense justice. I wasn't the bastion of, of nobility. They didn't get it right. They didn't, you know, and he knows yeah. that. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard to admit that, especially when your armor has never been tarnished before in the eyes of your peers. So... That, that was, I thought that was a great growth point for him. I mean, it was just kind of like it was the same revelation for everyone that uh, thought they knew Bashir. You know, Bashir was this, you know, this this prodigy child, genius doctor for a reason now, right? Yeah, sure. I, I love that bit, bit of uh, retconning. I mean, it, it just, it, it came at exactly the right time to just kind of mm-hmm. go, oh, well, this answers a lot, doesn't Even though it's, they just sort of like stumbled into this idea. I, I think that's so cool. Um, and, you know, interesting point about Kira, too. It, it's, even if we don't address that specifically, uh, for DS9 to be as good as it is about, uh, giving characters consistency and giving them depth, there are times that it really surprises me what reactions they get out of these characters. Like, we just talked recently about how um, it, it seemed really out of line for Dax to be playing Tongo with Quark and then suddenly very indignant about him selling arms and then they're back to playing Tongo. And it just, like, of all people, why her and why this instance? Uh, it, it seems like 
you know, th there are matters of convenience for a script where I, I guess if you have somebody there all the time who's sort of your Star Trek expert going, oh, wait a minute, remember we did this thing in season three that actually speaks to this. They all kind of do because they're all kind of in it. But because they are in it, it's also difficult to sort of holistically piece together all of those details all the time. Mm. So I, mean, I think overall DS9 has a really good batting average about keeping those characters consistent, making sure that the, the reveals are true to who those characters are. But every now and then, something is just awful, like in Tim's <laughs> third paragraph here, Worf on Risa was just terrible. terrible. And we oh all hated him God, for it. It was like, yeah. I don't... Off, it was awful. Just awful for no reason. Yeah. Like like none. Yeah. Yeah. And then even after that, they, they still don't know how to address stuff with Worf and Alexander or with his parents. or Yeah, it, it's just, it, it's yeah. bizarre. Some of that stuff yeah. is truly bizarre. <laughs> but uh, thank you, Tim. And hey, look, uh, at this point, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sort of adieu and say thank you for all the fantastic emails and comments. Please keep them coming. And... Uh, you again to everybody on Patreon, and we'll uh, we'll hop over and we'll have a cocktail now. Hey, time to welcome now to the show our special guest, Glenn Dakin. He is the author of many Star Trek books. There is the Star Trek Nerd Search, Quibbles with Tribbles. Uh, there is also Mr. Spock's Little Book of Mindfulness, so definitely check those out, uh, all from our friends over at Eagle Moss. But today, we, I, Norman, you and I talk, oh, every now and then about cocktails. Yeah, I would probably say every other episode or every other <laughs> half an episode, possibly. <laughs> Pretty much. And and what a lot of people who are, are not part of our Patreon group uh, may not know is that very often during a show, we're sipping on something or another. Uh, oh. So, yeah, so our Patreon audience knows that. <laughs> most... yeah, I, think, I think it's a time-honored tradition for us and for probably most podcasters out there. It's It is, yeah. It's uh, it, it helps kind of loosen things up a little bit, you know. It keeps uh, and it keeps your creative juices flowing in a it way. It does. It does. Yeah. So, it, with that said, we probably could not have a better guest today for our special Thanksgiving supplemental uh, bonanza. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just calling it that. Our, our uh, Thanksgiving palooza. That's whatever. Good. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Don't, not to confuse with. Um, Paul Palooza, because I have Paul Palooza also trained. Yeah, yeah, don't confuse it with that. So Glenn Dakin is the author of the new, newly released Star Trek Cocktails. It's as if he were looking for a book that would speak to the Norman and John demographic. And, yes. And he nailed it. Which so, is why we're talking to him. We are the Norman and John demographic right now. <laughs> That's it. You found it. You found your audience. Glenn, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Doing all right, doing all right. Um, as we record this, because you're in the UK and it's morning here, um, you see that I have a coffee cup. Won't tell you what's in it, though, uh, because, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, we would have stick true to the theme. So tell us, <laughs> tell us about how this came about. Uh, why Star Trek cocktails? 
Uh, well, we're kind of um, we've been doing Star Trek books at uh, Hero Collector, which is the kind of fantasy branch of Eagle Moss, <laughs> and um, we've been looking for kind of ways to celebrate Star Trek. And we we had a little look at uh, maybe party food, Star Trek, or another another book about the shows, you know, high points, low points. And then we started, um, I think it was uh, Stella Bradley, my project manager, she started to push the idea of cocktails, and we'd already had a couple of ideas along those lines. And there was this great kind of chime there with uh, Star Trek and cocktails, because you immediately think of Dr. McCoy's Mint Julep in the original series, where he spends quite a lot of the episode trying to pour one down Captain Kirk's throat. <laughs> and it was a, you know, I, I first was quite a young, quite a young child when I, when I first watched that, and I had no idea what a mint julep was. It was a great mystery to me. It sounded very exotic. And then later on in Star Trek, you know, drink is a big theme in the original series. If there's a Scottish character or an Irish character, drink always seems to come into the episode in a kind of comic way. And um, it's a great... Uh, storytelling device you know drink runs right through next gen they actually have a bar uh, on board the spaceship you've got uh Synthahol comes in and uh drink is in the fabric of star trek when when roddenberry uh you know when gene roddenberry uh, envisaged his perfect future he thought people wouldn't smoke there's no st- smoking in star trek which was quite radical for a tv mm. show at the time but he did think that people would still need that social glue of having a drink, and uh, it really works. Uh, they, the drinks in the series really underline the the, the storylines, and they produce some great highlights, uh, like the fight in Trouble with Tribbles, uh, where where Chekhov claims that uh, whiskey was invented by a little old lady from Leningrad, and. Uh, those kinds of moments. There's one episode where Scotty uh, defeat helps defeat an alien invasion by drinking a superior alien being under the table uh, because he knows that they aren't used to having uh, human bodies. So, uh, you know, there are those great moments from uh, the original series, which right. uh, we all remember. And I think it just, it just works, the connection with Star Trek and cocktails. You know, I was trying to think about that as I was uh, looking through your book, and and you pinpoint so many places that alcohol comes up. I mean, literally from the beginning, from the pilot, the cage, you've got Dr. Boyce mixing up uh, a martini for Captain Pike. And this immediately uh, tells us what we need to know about the relationship and about the kind of scene we're about to have. And from that moment on, every Star Trek series, practically every Star Trek character, has some uh, connection at some point to alcohol. I just wonder, like, you know, you mentioned the cigarettes. Uh, Gene famously rejected the idea of having the square futuristic cigarettes that I think R.J. Reynolds (laughs) or somebody was trying to pitch to him to have on the show. Um, Star Trek shows a future where most vices have been eradicated we don't have a lot of vices in the 23rd and 24th century but why has this one stuck around they, they only have fashion crimes that's the only vice they have left. <laughs> egregious <laughs> yeah. i think it comes through the the great tv tradition you know the original series some people called it like wagon train in space it came through kind of like a cowboy uh tradition of adventure shows exploring new ground and in those shows whiskey was always there for people to get drunk and have a fight and it was there to start a fight and it was there to make up after the fight Mm -hmm. and uh, it was in the fabric of the kind of manly explorer lifestyle and um, 
I think uh, I think that was part of it. I think it it was um, part of the storytelling technique of TV shows at the time, and it was fundamental to that relaxing moment. It just sends out the signals. And there's one uh, there's one scene where. Kirk, he's getting drunk on swigging from the bottle of Romulan brandy because he's been taken over by his evil self. You know, it's a, a drink is just a quick way of making a good, of making a dramatic point. And, um, you know, there were some great moments with Data, of course, in, uh, in Next Generation with drink and with um, how it brings out your human side or it brings out a side of you people don't normally see. I mean, basically in the naked time and the naked now the characters basically act drunk the whole time true, uh, but there's true, another yeah. reason for it you know there's a highfalutin reason for it but it's a bit like this is what we all behave like when we've had one too many well before uh, the listeners send you any emails glenn i'm just going to let you know that i know that he meant sorry and brandy we were talking about the, <laughs> we were talking about the enemy within but that's what happens on podcasts so i'll 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 take that one for you i'll take one for the team on that one. But John, you know, I was thinking, um, Glenn, I was, I was also um, thinking about like why alcohol, probably more so than any like other devices, say like even coffee or obviously cigarettes, because I mean, think about the very beginning of uh, the first season, you know, the Corbin might maneuver, you know, they toasted the success of basically, you know, annihilation with Tranya. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. it's I think that more I mean, it's especially in the 1960s. Uh, I think that historically, um, most you know most triumphs in civilization are celebrated with a toast. No one really toasts success with a smoke, you know, (laughs) or like a cup of tea. You know, Uh, they always celebrate it with some grand gesture, like a flute of champagne, or a cocktail, or something. Say, like I mean, even even um, celebrating you know Kirk's birthday, you know, was Romulan ale. Even though it was illegal, it was still something to be celebrated, and it's uh, something that was antiquated. So it, there's there's more of a kind of like a traditional human touchstone when it comes to alcohol. It's just part of the, uh, the underlying fabric of our celebratory nature. Like you said, Glenn, you know, hooping it up in the Wild West, you know, slugging <laughs> down whiskey shots and shooting your gun in the air on New Year's Eve. That's, you yeah. know, that's fun, or at least it was in somewhere in the 1860s. <laughs> kind of kind of moves on a little bit in next generation where it becomes sort of more you know drink is used to exaggerate uh, unusual moments in the original series but it becomes part of the fabric in next generation they're always down in the bar there are loads of scenes uh, confrontations awkward moments little uh, moments of intimacy uh, in um, in 10 forward and there's a totally different attitude towards drinking that series i think you get um i think deep space nine you get more of that kind of frontier sense of uh, drink can be can be more your ruin there are a few amusing moments in ds9 where people have one too many and uh yeah quark's bar and there's the famous warp core breach uh, which is one of the drinks in our book which uh, Bashir wants a drink to relax him, and um, Quark makes him a walk core breach and says, this ought to relax you for about three days. Yeah, famous <laughs> and... or infamous? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> hey, uh, that said, Glenn, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about the, uh, the process for the book here, because uh, as I was looking through it, something that struck me, you have uh, a few recipes for things that we saw on screen, like the warp core breach. And obviously in the show, they don't say, well, here are all the ingredients for a warp core breach. So we're we're leaving it uh, to our interpretation to say, well, here's something powerful enough to knock you out for three days. Uh, but you also have drinks that are 
inspired by or maybe visually tied to something that we saw on the show. So just walk us through a little bit of uh, what your research was like and then what the, the creative influence was that, uh, that you and, and uh, a couple of mixologists that you worked with on this book. Yes, I mean, originally um, I had quite a few discussions uh, with uh, Ben Robinson, who's one of our Star Trek uh, experts, and um, we, it was amazing how many ideas we had. We we just started to remember drinks from the show, like the, the mint julep, the uh, Samarian sunrise and uh, sunset, and the uh, and the you know things like Romulan well, ale and those kinds of things. And uh, then we started to locate drinks with places, so we were like. Uh, because you've got the New Orleans, the background with Captain Cisco. There was Cisco's Sazerac, which is like the steak cocktail. Then we got Captain Pike, who uh, was, uh, comes from the Mojave Desert. So there's the Mojave Mojito. So we were tying in drinks with places of origin for people. Uh, we were also creating some drinks that we just wanted to exist. Um, <laughs> you know, like the Klingon Bird of Prey and uh, the Mind Meld and things, uh, you know, Cupid, uh, Borg Queen. There were some drinks we just kind of thought there has to be a cocktail uh, like this. Uh, and others were kind of plays on words like the Ferengi Warbanger. It's just like the Harvey Warbanger. Um, <laughs> the Cherry on the Edge of Forever, uh, things like that. You know, we had um, we had a lot of fun. There were kind of some ones that, like, uh, one of them was Jim Beam Me Up. But uh, we didn't have that one. But since then, I've seen that as a meme online. It was funny. We we kind of rejected that one because it was too specifically tied in with a brand. But uh, we've um, some of them, we kind of just wanted them to exist. Some were plays on names, but also we wanted to include some big hit cocktails that everybody loves anyway with right. a Star Trek twist, like um, Parmac on the Beach. Is, if, if my Klingon pronunciation is correct, <laughs> it's basically it's just sex on the beach with a Klingon twist. Right. And uh, the um, uh, it's the sex on the beach, but angrier, right? Yeah, it's a bit rougher and far more controlling and dominating because that's just that's the Klingon side, right? Yes, you have to add more alcohol, just cheaper alcohol, so it has to be rougher. <laughs> right. Exactly. Just a t was just a twinge of regret, right at the end. <laughs> yeah, I had a trip okay. to sick bay. There you go. Yeah. Well, we do. We also have some healing cocktails, you know, for for, for uh, kind of emergency uh, medical cocktail section, like Beverly's Bone Crusher, and uh, things like that, so, to help you through uh, Dr. Bashir's London Fog, uh, to help you recover, you know, with the with the hair of the dog if you've had if you've had too much warp core breach, or the hair of the targ, if you will. Ooh. Yes, Ooh. So good one. We've, uh, yeah. Yeah. Trademark came, that. <laughs> I, I thought we came at it from all directions. Uh, the Grog of Khan, that was another one. It was just a play on words, really, um, based on Navy Grog. Uh, one of my favorite ones was the, the Lime Directive, which was um, based on the Prime Directive, which is a, a rule that you should not break. And I was reading um, The Long Goodbye, you know, the famous uh, Marlowe novel. Mm -hmm. And uh, in it, there's a scene where he's at the bar and he describes with incredible authority how to make the perfect uh, gimlet, which is gin and, and uh, not a uh, lime. Mm -hmm. And he says it with such a definite way. I thought it's like an instruction you must never break. And it reminded me of the prime directive. So we've got the lime directive in there. If you want to have your perfect uh, sort of private eye cocktail, your Dixon Hill moment at the bar. Um, it's like the Vesper Lind, you know, the, the way that yeah that he described it in Casino Royale was very specific, even though he made it all up at the time. 
exactly <laughs> <laughs> well part of the art of it is you have to sound very authoritative although there i guess there is a there is a certain amount of hit and miss in the creation of these cocktails some of them have evolved over the years some of them we based on the really early savoy cocktail book but um goes back to the 30s but um there was a tendency for people to prefer their drinks sweeter in those days so we've our drinks are a little bit more contemporary that's why we've had two excellent mixologists uh uh simon in france i mean simon in france and adrian in in london they're properly credited in the book uh just to, you know to check through everything tweak everything and give it a special um just so there's just so the book has has some kind of original quality uh so people will get something new from it uh, one of my favorite ones is the ice planet which is based on Ruripente, the klingon prison planet and it's a lovely mixture with uh, rum and curacao and with the ice. And at the last minute, you put some very cold lemonade on top and it creates a little atmosphere, like a light fog over the drink. And there's a, there's something very evocative about that one. I think that's one people enjoy making. Nice. Yeah, because it, it's all about sort of the not necessarily the drink itself, uh, which, of course, you want to be good, but it's partly the ritual and partly the experience of mixing and then enjoying that cocktail. Um, so with that said, then, what, what do you unwind with? What, what is your uh, cocktail of choice? Well, um, I mean, my favorite one, I think, that, that's come out of the book, which is a new discovery, I think, is the Live Long and Prosper. It's um, it's a bit of a slightly healthier one. We didn't want the vocal ones to be too uh, to be too damaging, so they're slightly more refreshing. <laughs> and that one is um, gives you a tequila with um, sparkling water and Trixie and bubble juice. So the important thing is to get your Trixie and bubble juice and add that in, and then you'll you'll really feel like you're in Quark's bar. But that one that one is kind of refreshing rather than overpowering. But if you you know if you really want something to um, to experience something wild. I think then, you know, the Warp Corp reaches four different types of, of rum and four different types of juice. Although I, actually the mixologists reduce it to three different types of rum because uh, I think it was just a little bit too, um, you know, too, too, too likely to destroy the fabric of the space-time continuum <laughs> with the four rums in there. So we slightly uh, mellowed it out. You know, Glenn, I've, I've always wondered this about like books like this, like these mixology type of books, because... There are going to be readers that are going to be coming from all different strains of life and all different backgrounds that can afford the highest end spirits and some that can afford only a certain quality of spirit. Do you think that that will affect their overall enjoyment of the, the final product when they say choose, and I'm going to be just very egregious here because I need to make this a, a clear distinction, say <laughs> choose pop-off vodka over sky vodka or absolute because there are distinctions to those flavor profiles but how close can somebody get without really breaking their you know breaking the latinum if you will <laughs> uh, um i'm gonna i'm gonna have to i mean there is a wide there is a wide variety of drinks there we've tried to spread it across uh, all different kinds and i i don't think you need we we haven't based this around uh, like the elite end of, uh, you know, so some of these drinks are really just a man walks into a bar like um, Kirk's Old Fashioned, you know, it's whiskey, soda, orange, uh, ice. Some of them are just really simple drinks, but they're drinks that have actually been around, uh, you know, for a hundred years. Um, and I think some of the some of the simpler ones, like um, the uh, the mint julep, you know, these are these are the drinks of the ordinary working man. 
that have survived. So I think that I think most people will be able to afford them if they can't afford the four different types of rum. Um, I think they'll certainly be able to afford some of the more traditional uh the, the drinks that are perhaps more connected with the original series. Uh, and we did get a bit flamboyant as we went along, but I think there's an element of, uh, shall we say, adventure with a cocktail book, imaginative adventure. You do want a bit of romance there. You don't want all the drinks to be something um, that your dad might have made you on your birthday. They've all got to take, <laughs> they've got to take your mind somewhere. Uh, and so we've, we wanted to give it a bit of an air of romance and, and a bit of an air of adventure and um, you know, have quite a few imaginative ones. Did you? Have... I guess the answer is I think there are there's something in there for everybody. Good, good. Did, did you ever have a chance to go to uh, Star Trek: The Experience in Las Vegas and go to Quark's Bar there? I'm afraid I never have. No. Oh, it, it was amazing, and there was a uh, a warp core breach on the menu, and a uh, a Borg sphere, and both of those were very potent, very dangerous drinks. Um, but they, they had their own uh, sort of flavor profile, their own uh, uh, creativity. So I look forward to trying the, uh, the Warp Core Breach in your book. And uh, the, great thing about the, the great thing about the Warp Core Breach is that you have to drink it out of a fishbowl. So, yes, you know, you know, you know what you're up against. And it's, yeah. Best, it's yeah, best shared, really, although right. in, in times, I'm not sure how that will work, but uh it's um, it's one of those drinks that would probably be would be a good one to share in a romantic moment, like the like the mind meld, the Mister Spock's one, which is I think it's got champagne, cherry liqueur, and vodka. It's quite strong, but if you share it with mm. someone you love, then the mind meld will be more effective. Ah, not, okay, I like so that. It's interesting, trip. like a very a very romantic drink from a very emotionless race. That's so it's <laughs> amazing. You know, they, they claim it, though. They, they say that, but I, I, I don't believe them because, look, Sarek and Amanda, and uh, there, there's a lot of passion running deep. In there's a lot, of hand, there's a lot of hand stuff going on there. You know, that we humans are too, we, we're, not, we're not subtle enough to appreciate their, uh, yeah. their wounds. But, um, they have deep feelings, the Vulcans. They nearly destroyed their own planet, you know, with, with war. <laughs> right. Maybe that's why they kept the tradition of this particular drink. <laughs> you know, <laughs> in in the Vulcan logs or whatever the whatever the Romulan commander was serving Spock when Ooh, they were having, yeah. because that <laughs> was go. evocative that could have been passion fruit infused something. Or yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Glenn, where would you rather hang out, Quark's Bar or Ten Forward? Wow, I you know I've got a feeling that to me there's something a, a little bit more fun about Quark's uh, Bar. Uh, you know, in ten four, you never know when Riker might come up to you and send you off to engineering, or mm. you know, there's 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 normally some embarrassment that goes on there. Something, some, uh, you know, there, there's been some frightening moments in there. So I, I, I think uh, I think I'd prefer a, a drink at Quark's Bar, probably. I mean, yeah. ten four at a higher chance of a buzz kill. Quark's Bar higher chance of getting killed. So <laughs> it's just you know, where where do you where do you take your pleasure? That's yeah. And then uh, I would also ask you, what, what will a man tell his bartender that he won't tell his doctor, going back to the, uh, to the very first scene? I love that. I love that quote. I mean, I, yeah. it's funny, isn't it? When you watch that episode, um, it immediately endears you, those characters to you. You feel it's very true. And I think it's that thing of anonymity, isn't it? It's when you, 
you know, nobody ever tells their doctor the truth, do they? I mean, when your doctor asks you what your weekly consumption of alcohol is, you certainly <laughs> open up your heart to him. Um, whereas if you go into a bar and there's a guy there behind the bar and he looks a bit sadder than you, he looks, you think, well, you know, a bit of ex- life experience on him, you'll start opening up and you'll, you'll tell him a few stories. It's the anonymity. It's the everyman thing. You, you're, you, you don't, you, d- you guess it will go no further and there'll be no repercussions. So you can open up your heart more to a, to the guy behind the bar, maybe, than uh, your ship's doctor who will put it down in your profile and uh, take all your command. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, John, I just had a good idea. Not for right now, but maybe for later. Okay. It's William Shatner performing one for my baby and one more for the road. Because oh, that's, what, sure. that's what Kirk would do. He would roll up to the bar or roll up to yeah. McCoy and just speak his heart mm-hmm. you know i agree i agree Jim, Jim can break the rules and get away with it he's the he's the original yeah yeah so <laughs> and then finally glenn i it, it is uh thanksgiving week in the u.s uh so what cocktail uh do you think is the appropriate celebratory uh cocktail for a, a thankful gathering for a thankful gathering mm-hmm. not not that we're gathering because uh, you know we, we we have to put some restrictions on things like, but theoretically, down the road <laughs> when we can yeah, gather, I, I I'm I'm not sure. Some maybe from something from Neelix's celebration, mm. maybe something from Neelix's celebration cocktails. Um, Hopefully not his coffee. No, so. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea though because Neelix had a very uh, magnanimous and and open heart. And uh, and certainly the uh, the the mess hall there in his galley was sort of the heart of uh, that ship. So oh, yeah. I, I like. I think, that you, I think you might need um, Tilly's ping pong beer to get through the family Thanksgiving. <laughs> You've met our families. Uh, so. <laughs> I was about to say, like uh, the best cocktail is the fourth or fifth one. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us to uh, to talk cocktails. And uh, please remind us all of uh, what your books are, where they can be found, and uh, where we can find you. Well, yes, uh, I, w- I want to say the books, which also includes the uh, very um, meditative Mr. Spock's Little Book of Mindfulness. Uh, this is the book that you can have if you want to expand your mind without alcohol. Not everyone... <laughs> This is this is full of some very mind-expanding and thoughtful ideas from Mr. Spock on how to live our lives and how not to live our lives. Nice. With lots of jokes and cartoons. And um, Mr. Spock says um, having is not always such so uh, so pleasing a thing as wanting, and that can be true uh, with a hangover as well. So you might want to, um, yeah, if if you've had too many drinks, you might want to. Uh, get this book out afterwards and have a thoughtful moment with Mr. Spock's book of mindfulness. They're all available uh, along with quibbles with tribbles, which is the star Trek nerd search where you you can find (laughs) funny mistakes uh, in famous scenes. So you get like a classic moment from trouble with tribbles or the devil in the dark. And we've deliberately put the wrong monster in it, or we've put the wrong costumes on people and uh, the wrong aliens in there so it's 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 a great chance to have fun and it's a kind of adult wears waldo book you know looking for the looking for the little things that are, are wrong or that shouldn't be there now glenn so you, you know that there are no mistakes in star trek they, they're just opportunities <laughs> for retconning that that's all they are 
That's all yes. they are. Well, it's infinite diversity and uh, in, in, in infinite combinations in, in the <laughs> yes. multiverse. So who's, who's to say that it's not right? Yeah, absolutely. We we did have to invent our own mistakes basically to make that book work. There weren't enough real mistakes, but that's the that's kind of the fun of it. But they're all available on Amazon. Uh, they're all available through Hero Collector as well, which is the Eagle Moss Publishing wing. And if you go to my own website, glendakin.com, all the links are on there, and you'll be able to see a bit more about the books. Um, and yeah, you can just get these books Random House that are doing them. Um, they're on just about every major books website out there, and uh, We've had a warm reception so far. I think that I think they've come along at the right time. People need a bit of fun and, and diversion and something to take their their, their mind uh, into a you know it, out of out of the house. You can't you can you, can, you can't uh, go to a party at the moment, but you can go to another world or you can go to another another plane. So the the cocktail adventure is just beginning. There's a grand master plan here that I see, Perfect. John. And can you yes. see this? So you have so especially during the holidays. You start off with the book of quibbles. So you start, mm. it's kind of like Monopoly. You don't really want to play it because you know exactly where it's going to go. Right. So then you start drinking. And then oh. you start using the cocktail book to start being more in the spirit of Star Trek because you just started doing the quibbles book. You start needing to right. drink. And then, after all that's said and done, because we all know how holidays go, you go into the Mr. Spock book of mindfulness so that you can retain some type of inner peace for the rest right. of the evening. Right. It's the perfect trifecta of uh, holiday <laughs> Trek books. Excellent. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. It's been great to talk to you. It's really, really good fun. Thank you. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network